Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 64 The Arrowhead Robin prepped for autopsy. She'd had the overnight ME staff help her shoot the x-rays, then brought the body into Dr. Metz's private autopsy room. Once the body was prepared, she sent the overnight staff out to pick up the bodies of Susan Panos and Isaac Moses, leaving her alone in the morgue. The rap scan machine was almost finished with the tests on Rex Depravdachuk's sperm and the blood from Bobby's assailant. She carried the machine into the private autopsy room so she'd get the results as soon as they came up. The private room was just a smaller version of the larger main room. It even had the same old-school wood paneling. There was enough space for a single autopsy table, an area to walk around it, and counters and cabinets along the walls. Robin was already regretting her decision to do what Brian and Pookie had asked. Rushing a murder scene, leaving the scene. That was not the behavior of a senior medical examiner. And only now did she realize they hadn't given a shred of proof to back up their claims. Had she really been foolish enough to think she didn't love Brian anymore? She would do anything for him. It had always been that way. Probably always would. He didn't return that love, and that hurt. But it didn't change the fact that she would never be able to let him go. In the parlance of Pookie Chang, unrequited love sucked donkey balls. Time to get down to business. Despite Rich Verdi's dead-on description, she knew this wasn't Bobby Pigeon's killer. The body on the table was that of an out-of-shape slob, beer gut and all. There was no way he had the sheer strength needed to drive a hatchet through Bobby's clavicle, part of his scapula, three of his ribs, and an inch into his sternum. She also doubted the bearded man would have had the upper body strength needed to tear off Oscar Woody's arm. And most of all, his teeth were perfectly normal. He didn't have the wide incisors necessary to make those parallel grooves on Oscar's bones. So, this man hadn't killed Bobby or Oscar. Robin flipped down her face shield. She stepped on a button that started her audio recorder, then picked up a scalpel from the tray next to the table. Beginning autopsy on John Doe. Caucasian male, approximately 30 years old, 186 centimeters tall, 104 kilograms. Subject appears to have been killed by an arrow that penetrated the heart. She saw two small pink puckerish scars on his chest. Her gloved hands traced them. She hadn't noticed those in the dark and the rain. Could they? No, they were almost healed. They couldn't be wounds from Bobby Pigeon's final two bullets. Subject appears to have two small puncture wounds on his left pectoral, incurred possibly a week ago. The first is at two o'clock and ten centimeters from the left nipple. The second is seven o'clock and seven centimeters from the right nipple. She looked at her notes, checking positions of the two bullet wounds on the man's back from where Brian had shot him. Other than those wounds and the two marks on his chest, the man didn't have a scar or a scratch on him. But those healed marks on the corpse's chest... Had she seen something on the x-rays? She reached over to the portable computer stand next to the porcelain table and called up the x-ray images. 
A bright white spot glowed directly under the healed wound near his right nipple. Could that be a bullet? Bobby's bullet? She shook her head. Brian had shot this man twice in the back. One of those bullets had probably bounced off a rib and come to rest here. She looked at the x-rays again. That was strange. There were three white spots. But Brian had only shot him twice. Something else on the black, white, and gray image caught her attention. Subject's ribs appear to be thicker than expected. In fact, all bones appear to be abnormally thick. Possible high bone density due to mutation in LDL receptor-related protein 5. We'll examine more closely after initial autopsy is complete. None of this mattered if she didn't get that arrow out of there in time for Pookie and Brian to use it. That urgency now felt silly. What was going to happen? Would Chief Zhao kick in the door to the private autopsy room and chase Robin out? She picked up a scalpel with her right hand, a small hose with her left. She sliced from the right shoulder to the sternum, spraying the wound with water as she went. Diluted blood ran down the body to the white porcelain surface, then flowed into the grooves that carried it to the foot of the table, where it finally passed through a hole and into a drainage sink. She made an identical incision on the left side, creating a V anchored by the arrow shaft sticking straight out of the man's chest. From the bottom of that V, she sliced down to the pubic bone. Robin then peeled and cut, peeled and cut, her scalpel scraping against the sternum, the ribs and the clavicle, separating skin, muscle, and soft tissue from the bones. As she grabbed, pulled, and tugged, she realized the corpse's flesh felt different than she was used to. It felt strangely heavy. Subject's muscle mass feels denser than normal. Subject may have LRP5 mutation. Again, we'll examine in detail after initial examination is completed. That mutation wasn't uncommon. She'd read about it in several journals. Denser muscle could mean more cells per square inch, and more muscle cells meant more strength. Maybe she'd been wrong. Could this guy have had the power necessary to inflict those horrible wounds on Bobby Pigeon and Oscar Woody? If he was Oscar's killer, could the Z chromosome be responsible for these mutations, and possibly for other mutations she hadn't seen yet? Hell, if she didn't get the CME position, she could probably make a living on the Z chromosome alone. Nobel Prize winner Dr. Robin Hudson that had a nice ring to it. She lifted the V-flap up over the perp's face, exposing the neck muscles, then spread the side flaps open to expose the rib cage. Time for the bone saw. She lifted the solid metal power tool. Its high-pitched buzz filled the air as she cut through the ribs where they curved down to the man's sides. Blade on bone produced the smell of burning hair. After so many years at this job, that odor didn't really bother her anymore. After she finished with the saw, she set it aside and rinsed the body down. She sliced through the diaphragm, then lifted the now-severed, arrow-pierced ribcage away from the body. The ribcage felt far heavier than she would have expected. Did the thicker, denser bone exist to withstand the stresses generated by stronger muscles? Holding the pierced ribcage in her hands, she examined the embedded arrowhead. Arrowhead is a three-bladed broadhead configuration, approximately seven centimeters from tip to attachment point. Each blade's cutting edge is approximately 7.8 centimeters. The blades are serrated. The bottom corner of each blade has a small hook curving up toward the point. Such a horrible weapon. 
The point had penetrated John Doe's sternum, driving right into the heart. The arrowhead probably would have punched clean through were it not for those little hooks. That seemed counterintuitive, as it would do more damage the farther in it went. The way this was made, the way it embedded in the rib cage, it looked like the designer wanted it to stick. She set the rib cage aside. Robin reached for the heart, then stopped. The broadhead had sliced into the right ventricle, nearly severing the pulmonary artery. A kill shot, no question. But it wasn't the heart that stopped her cold. What the hell is that? The private room's door opened. Brian and Pookie walked in. Robin, Robin, Bobo! Pookie's voice trailed off when he saw the corpse on the table. Yo, that's nasty. She lifted her visor and waved them over. Guys, look at this. Brian looked her up and down. Don't we need to suit up or something? Screw OSHA, Robin said. Come here. The small room fit three comfortably. The boys walked up to the body. She pointed to the bloody open chest, to a glossy purple shape just above the heart. What the hell is that? Brian and Pookie looked at it, then at each other, then at her. She saw Brian's right hand move to his chest, his palm lightly resting against his sternum, making a slow-motion circle there. He looked again at the purple shape, then leaned back a little as if the sight horrified him. Pookie didn't look horrified. He looked excited. He leaned in close. That's his heart, right? Do I get a prize? No, you idiot, Robin said. She pointed to the maroon-red heart. That is his heart, and it looks normal. She again pointed to the purple shape. I'm talking about this thing. I've never seen it before. She slid her left hand into the body and cupped her fingers under the strange bit of flesh. It felt firm, yet giving. Her right hand reached in with the scalpel. She carefully cut the purple thing free. Ugh, Pookie said. Robin lifted it out of the body. It was a shallow disc about the size of her palm, purple and slimed with tacky blood. She held it for Brian to see. He wrinkled his nose in disgust. Is it a tumor or something? I don't think so, Robin said. If it is, it's not like any cancer or tumor I've ever seen, or even heard described. It could be an ectopic dysplasic organ. That's a malformed organ that winds up in a different spot in the body than is typical. Sometimes dysplasic organs are even functional, but there isn't any known organ that looks like this. Pookie tried to lean in and look, but he clearly didn't want to come close enough to touch it. What does it do? Robin shrugged. I have no idea. She walked a few feet to the scale. She had to weigh all the organs. Might as well start with this curiosity. Hey, Pookie said. He pointed to the man's crotch. This guy has no balls. Brian let out a dismissive huff of a laugh. <laughs> Figures you'd look there first. I'm serious, Pookie said. Look at Mr. Nonuts. Robin did. She'd been in such a hurry to get the body in here and remove the arrowhead that she hadn't paid much attention to the subject's genitalia. You're right, Pooks, she said. I see no testicles. Ballas, Pookie said. And he's not going to get any dates based on the rest of what he's got, if you know what I'm saying. 
The subject's penis was barely larger than that of a small boy. Robin lifted it and felt underneath. No scrotum, she said, and there doesn't appear to be any scar tissue, so he was probably born that way. Pookie shook his head. The poor, poor bastard. He has multiple mutations, Robin said. Thick, oversized bones, abnormally dense muscle, and an unknown organ. You guys, this is a really big deal. Brian looked up to a clock on the wall. It sounds important, but we need to hurry. Can we get the arrow? Sure, sorry. Robin left the organ in the hanging scales tray. She picked up the bone saw and made a few more cuts to the severed rib cage, freeing the arrow. She held it point up so they could all look at it. The room's powerful lights cast glaring reflections off the bloody arrowhead's bright metal. Robin noticed lines in the flats of the blades. Blood had coagulated in them, showing an engraved symbol. It looked like a cross with little V's at the end of each point. Brian took out his cell phone and snapped a picture. Pookie poked the blade with a pen. Bri Bri, you've seen this cross symbol before. Brian shook his head. I'm, I'm not sure. I've never drawn it. Drawn it? Robin had lived with Brian for two years. She had never seen him draw so much as a doodle. She'd also never seen him afraid in that time, of anything. Yet each new discovery from this John Doe's body seemed to affect him even more. Pookie pointed his pen at the arrowhead's base, where it connected to the wooden shaft. Robin saw another symbol there, a different one. It looked like a knife or a sword, pointing down, the blade partly hidden behind a big circle with a smaller circle in the middle. Looks like a dagger, Pookie said. And the circle. That look familiar, Bri-Bri. Brian nodded. It's an eye. It was a circle in a circle. In context with the dagger, Robin thought the circle might represent a shield, but Brian seemed very sure. How do you know it's an eye? We've seen other symbols like it, he said. Stuff that's directly related to the case. We'll tell you about it later, I promise. He pointed to the hooks at the base of the arrowhead. That's why it's stuck in Blackbeard's chest. Blackbeard? She liked that. Much better than John Doe. I think so, she said. I can do some math on it later. Mass of the arrow and arrowhead distance traveled. Try to come up with some force calculations. But I'm sure this arrowhead is designed to partially penetrate, then stop. Stop and stick. That's weird, Pookie said. Wouldn't it do more fucking shit up if those big honking blades just went all the way through? Robin nodded. If the arrow hadn't lodged in Blackbeard's sternum, it would have sliced his heart in half. Something caught her eye. She reached out with her scalpel and scraped the flat of one of the broadhead blades. The gooey blood moved, of course, but the scalpel tip also made a tiny trough. Not in the metal itself, but in a gray smear on top of the metal. There's some kind of paste on here. Brian leaned in. Poison? I don't know, she said. We'll have to analyze it. Sure, Pookie said. Of course, why not? If the giant-ass broadhead won't kill a brother, you better poison him too, right? He pulled out his cell phone and snapped several close-up photos. I'm going to call Black Mr. Burns and have him run these new symbols. Pookie walked to the door, opened it, then turned and smiled. I'll just go call him right now, 
Don't you kids do anything I wouldn't do while I'm gone. See what I did there? Because I would do all kinds of stuff. It's clever in that I'm saying you can fuck if you want to. Robin couldn't help but laugh. Pookie closed the door behind him. Amazing, Brian said. There's a cracked open body on the table, and he thinks we're going to play spin the bottle. She was alone with him again. She didn't know if she'd get another chance to help him open up, to find out what was happening to him. It wasn't the time to be selfish and focus on her own needs, her own feelings. Brian needed someone. Even if it hurt her to the core, she would be there for him. There's more to this than a cover-up, she said. I know you, Brian Clouser. I know who you are and how you think. Or at least I did until all this started happening. What does that mean? It means I know you're scared. He turned away, not looking at anything in particular, just looking away from her. Brian, whatever this is, you can tell me. We broke up, sure, I get that, but I will always love you. He turned to face her. She expected to see his usual blank stare, but instead there was pain in those eyes, pain and frustration. Robin, I... Come on, let me in, let me help you. She waited. He closed his eyes, rubbed at them slowly with his left hand. He dropped his hand and blinked a few times, seeming to gather himself. Okay, he said. Man, where do I even start? This seems impossible, but... In the corner of the room, the rap scan machine beeped. Robin looked at the briefcase-sized machine. The karyotype tests had finished. She turned back to Brian. Go ahead, you were saying? He tilted his head toward the machine. That's the results from Birdman's killer. Robin sighed. The moment had passed. No way he'd talk now, not with those results waiting. Well, she'd tried. She wished he would confide in her, but that wasn't what he wanted. It hurt, and it was out of her control to do anything about it. She stripped off her gloves and stepped to the machine. Brian followed. The top of the monitor showed a notification icon. Bobby Pigeon assailant sample complete. This sample is from the blood spatter in Rex's apartment, she said. The other two samples will finish any second now. Let's see what we have with this one. She hit a key to bring up the karyotype results. The colorful horizontal lines played across the flat panel screen. Brian pointed to the last box, the one that displayed the sex chromosomes. A Z, he said. So Bobby's killer is also Oscar Woody's killer. When she looked at the markers, she felt a rush of excitement, of pure discovery. She pointed to the second sex chromosome. This is an X. Bobby Pigeon's killer is ZX. Oscar's killer was ZY. Brian, this means we have two people with a Z chromosome. So, they're related? Related? One case, two killers, both with a never-before-seen Z chromosome. What were the odds they weren't related? Hold on. She worked the touchscreen to enter new commands. I'm telling the machine to do a high-level scan for common sequences. What will that do? It will tell us if their Z chromosomes are identical. If they are, they're brothers. Brothers? Robin hit enter. The machine returned a result almost instantly. 
the Z chromosomes were identical. Brothers, she said, at least half-brothers. They either have the same mother or the same father. The machine beeped again. At the top of the screen, she saw a notification icon. Our Dubrovdichuk sample complete. She pressed the icon. The screen blanked out, then displayed the new karyotype. Robin just stared. Ah, uh, Robin, what the hell is that? She didn't know. She really didn't have a goddamn clue. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Rex wasn't XY as a normal boy would be. He wasn't XZ, and he wasn't even YZ for that matter. Rex deprived of Chuck's sex genes... X, Y, Z. He's trisomal, she said. I mean, that can happen. At first, I thought Oscar's killer was XXY. But this? I don't know what to make of it. What about his Z? Is it the same as the other two? 
Robin tapped the screen again. The machine responded even faster this time. It's the same, she said. Rex is the brother of both Blackbeard here and Oscar Woody's killer. Brian chewed at his lower lip. He stared at the Rapscan screen. This seems pretty convenient. You tell me no one has ever seen the Zed before this case, yet now they come up everywhere we look? Could the machine be on the fritz? I doubt it. I ran the results on Oscar Woody's killer three times and ran control groups of normal male and female samples as well. The control groups came up just as they should, while the results of Oscar Woody's killer replicated the same each time. What that means is, just trust me, the machine works fine. Brian turned to her. What now? What now? She had no idea. Where to even begin? She wasn't even finished with the autopsy of the bearded man on the table. Her brain felt stuck in neutral. She couldn't be seeing what she saw, yet it was all there in living color. The machine beeped a third time. Archery victim sample complete. Alert. Match found. Genetic match with Bobby Pigeon's assailant sample. Match probability, 99.9%. They both turned to look at the body on the table. That's impossible, she said. The first sample came from a bullet that Bobby shot through the chest of his attacker. But the guy on the table? He didn't have bullet wounds on his chest. The door to the small room opened. Pookie walked in, eyebrows raised in apologetic alarm. Walking in right behind him, Chief Amy Zhao. Robin's heart sank. Oh, shit. There goes my chance at Chief Medical Examiner. Inspector Klausa, Chief Zhao said. Fancy meeting you here. Step out of the room, please. I'd like a word. You too, Dr. Hudson. They were so busted. Robin followed Brian and Pookie out of the room and into the long main autopsy area. There she saw more people. Rich Verdi, Mayor Jason Collins, Sean Robertson, and Baldwin Metz. Robin ran to him, her hunger for the department's top position forgotten at the sight of her friend and mentor. Dr. Metz! Oh my God, it's good to see you! She reached to hug him, but Robertson gently held up a warning hand. She stopped, then realized that Metz was leaning on Robertson's other arm. Dr. Metz looked like he could barely stand at all. His normally perfect silver hair looked a bit mussed, a bit frazzled. His skin had a sickly pallor. Sunken eyes stared at her with both anger and exhaustion. Doc, Robin said, what are you doing here? You belong in a hospital bed. He forced a smile. Duty calls, my dear. He looked at Zhao with an expression that seemed to say, it's your show. Zhao nodded. She turned to Rich Verdi. Can you step into the private room and tell me if that is Bobby Pigeon's killer? Verdi glared at Pookie and Brian. The man's pencil-mustached lip curled into a half-sneer. His expression combined utter rage and deep sadness. Maybe Verdi had yelled at his partner in public, but Birdman's loss weighed on the man's soul. He walked into the private room. After only a few seconds, he stepped back out. That's him, he said. No question. Mayor Collins cleared his throat. His tailored suit and perfect hair seemed out of place here, a place where people rolled up their sleeves and did the city's dirty work. He walked over and put a hand on Verdi's shoulder. Verdi's head snapped around. 
but his angry expression faded when he saw the look of concern on the mayor's face. A tragedy, my friend, Colin said. I'll make sure the city pays proper respect to Inspector Pigeon. Verdi looked to the ground. Ah, fuck this, he said, then strode out of the morgue. Chief Zhao walked to the door of the private room. She held it open, then looked at Brian and Pookie. Both of you, wait for me in here. Brian and Pookie looked at each other, then to Robin. They didn't know what to do. Neither did she. Now, Zhao said. Pookie and Brian did as they were told. Chief Zhao shut the door, closing them in. She turned and looked at Collins. Mayor Collins nodded. Then he looked at Robin. Dr. Hudson, Dr. Metz will take over from here. I'm disappointed in your performance tonight. I thought we could trust you. Apparently I was wrong. Metz waved a hand in annoyance. Oh, shove it, Jason. Now is not the time for that. We're going to need her anyway. Need her? Need her for what? What the hell was going on? The mayor looked back at the ill Metz, then nodded. Sure, we'll talk about that, but not right now. Take care of this, please. Metz let out a tired sigh. <sighs> Robin, go home. I'll finish the autopsy. She shook her head. No way, Doc. I don't know what's going on, but you need to be back in bed. You're in no shape to- Enough, Mayor Collins said. Dr. Hudson, your boss just asked you to leave. If you want any kind of job in this department, do what he says. Now. Was he threatening to fire her? She looked at Dr. Metz. He smiled apologetically, then gave her a single long nod. Just go. I'll explain later, the gesture said. The whole thing was insane. Metz could barely stand. He was in no condition to finish the autopsy. But if that was the way he wanted it, then she had to respect that. She walked out of the main autopsy room and to her desk in the administration area. She took her motorcycle jacket from a peg on the cubicle wall and shrugged it on. She removed her helmet from under the desk and started to leave. But her gaze lingered on her computer. All the genetic information she'd just run in the RAP scan, that would be in the department database. She could just grab an external drive, copy that over, and... Dr. Hudson! Robin turned quickly. Chief Amy Zhao was standing right there, a cold, blank expression on her face. Do you need anything else, doctor? Robin's heart kicked in her chest. The woman had been right behind her. Uh, no, Robin said. She held up her helmet. Just needed my gear. And you've got it, Zhao said. So drive safe. It's late. Robin nodded and quickly walked out of the medical examiner's office. Chapter 65 Pay the Piper Brian stood in the corner of the private autopsy room, as far away from the open body as he could get, which wasn't far. What crap was Zhao going to pull now? Pookie stood next to the table, looking down at the bearded man with the missing chest. Did Robin say this hunk of burn in love was Birdman's killer? Yeah. Her tests confirmed this is the guy Bobby shot. But he's not Oscar Woody's killer, so that guy is still out there. If Zhao is protecting Marie's children, or whoever the killer is, then... She's not, Pookie said. 
I mean, yeah, she's protecting a killer, but not some cult. She caught me out in the main autopsy room. She was on me like a bum on a bologna sandwich. I'm looking at her, and for once, I'm not thinking about how she'd be in bed. And then some pieces clicked. Remember how I told you that the bowman drew down on me but missed on purpose? Yeah, how does that connect with Zhao? Think about it. First time the arrow thing comes up is 30 years ago, when the Golden Gate Slasher turns up dead. Cops bury the case. They remove any and all mentions of an arrow. We now know Blackbeard is a murderer, and he was killed by an arrow. These archers think they're vigilantes. That's who Zhao is protecting, not serial killers. That doesn't add up. Zhao took us off the case to keep us from catching Oscar and Jay's murderer. Close, but no cigar, Pookie said. She got us out of the way so someone else could find the murderer. He held a palm-up hand toward the body on the white porcelain table. Someone who would do this, unburdened by laws, rights, and procedures. Metz is in on it. He fudges the autopsy reports to eliminate any presence of the archer, just like he did for the Golden Gate Slasher case. Brian looked at the body, thought of Pookie's angle. If Zhao wanted to protect a vigilante, that would explain the missing parts of the Slasher case files. Verdi could pay lip service to finding the killers. Once a killer was taken out, Metz could handle the rest. If that was what was going on, Robertson was also in on it. But was the mayor? What about Collins? If you're right, why would he be involved? Maybe this is really big, Hookie said. Maybe the mayor or someone else way up. Make sure the right people run the police department so that no one goes after the vigilantes. Remember that a bunch of Marie's children were burned at the stake over a hundred years ago? What if that was the same vigilante organization we're dealing with now? What if we're talking about a group dedicated to taking out Marie's children whenever they show their little masked heads? Brian remembered how Sherrow and Robertson had stared at the blood symbols from Oscar Woody's murder scene, how they'd played right along when Zhao took Brian and Pookie off the case. There had been symbol killer cases before, the Golden Gate Slasher, the mob hit from the 60s, that serial killer in New York City. Maybe there were even more cases that Zhao and company had made disappear. Father Paul Maloney? Verdi had been on the scene, Metz at his side. Maybe if it wasn't for Brian's dreams leading him to the murder site, no one would have ever known about Zhao's game. The door opened. Chief Zhao came in, as did Baldwin Metz, helped by Sean Robertson. Zhao closed the door. She, Metz, and Robertson stood on the side of the room near the Rapscan computer. Brian and Pookie were on the other side. The hacked-up bodies separated them. Zhao looked at the body for a few moments. Then she looked up and spoke. Congratulations, Klauser. You brought down the Boyko killer, the man that also killed Inspector Pigeon. Here we go. She isn't wasting any time. Well, fuck that. I didn't kill this guy. Brian pointed to the arrow resting on the body. Someone put that through his heart. Chief Zhao looked over at Metz. Doctor? He reached out a trembling hand, picked up the arrow, then set it on a counter behind him. That's not the instrument of death, he said. He pointed to the portable computer rack. Assistant Chief, would you mind? Robertson reached out and rolled the rig closer so Metz could get at it. The old man tapped some keys. An X-ray appeared on the screen. He stared at it, then pointed to a bright white dot below the right nipple. Bullet, he said. 
I'm sure it's forty caliber and will match the ballistics of Inspector Pigeon's weapon. He examined the picture again, then pointed to two slightly fainter white spots. And in my expert opinion, these will be forty caliber bullets from Officer Clauser's weapon. Robertson reached across the body, held his hand palm up. Clauser, your weapon, please. Brian looked at Zhao. Am I suspended? She shook her head. But you want my gun, Brian said. What am I supposed to use on the street, harsh language? Pick up another tomorrow, Zhao said. Give the assistant chief your firearm so we can run ballistics. Ballistics are on record, Brian said. They are for every police-issued weapon. Zhao smiled. We just want to be thorough. You know how the media can be. She and Metz would cook the evidence. Brian's gun would be confirmed as the weapon that killed the bearded man on the table. He looked to Pookie, who shook his head slightly. Don't fight now. We can't win. Brian drew his Sig Sauer, ejected the magazine, then pulled the slide back and checked the chamber. He handed the weapon and the mag to Robertson. Your lies won't hold up, Brian said to Zhao. Too many loopholes. She pursed her lips. Really? Rex Dubrovdichuk was being bullied by Boyko. Roberta Dubrovdichuk hired an aspiring hitman to kill the bullies. The hitman is lying on the table before us. Forensic evidence will confirm that this man killed Oscar Woody and Jay Pilar. It seems that Roberta refused to pay for services rendered, so the hitman killed her as well. The hitman didn't know what to do about Rex, so he waited at the Dubrovdichuk home and kept Rex hostage. Inspector Verdi and Inspector Pigeon were investigating the murders of Woody and Pala. They tracked a lead to Roberta and found the hitman at her house. Gunfire was exchanged. Inspector Pigeon died in the line of duty. The hitman was wounded, but he escaped. Rex fled the scene and has been missing ever since. The hitman decided he needed to protect his newfound reputation by completing his original contract. So he went after Alex Panos and Isaac Moses. The hitman killed Isaac. Alex's mother got caught in the crossfire. Alex got away, but I'm sure we'll find him. We'll find Rex as well. She was so smooth, so quick. Her story wasn't just plausible. It connected all the dots in a seamless, streamlined fashion. The doctored evidence would make it real. There's witnesses, Pookie said. A lot of people saw that arrow sticking out of the body. Paramedics, Dr. Hudson, bystanders, other cops. How are you going to explain that? Zhao smiled. I don't think the paramedics want to contradict me. As for Robin Hudson, she has a pretty impressive promotion coming up, and I'm betting she wouldn't want to risk that. I'll also talk to every cop on the scene personally, to make sure they remember things correctly. This man on the table killed Bobby Pigeon. Do you think your fellow officers will care about the details of how a cop killer died? She was right about that, too. Even if word got out about the archer, most cops would want to give him a medal, not try and throw him in prison. But Brian wasn't most cops. I care, he said. A vigilante is killing people and we're going to get him. Metz started tapping keys on the RAPSCAN touchscreen. Brian saw the karyotypes come up on the screen, then vanish, one by one. He was deleting the information. Zhao rested the knuckles of her fists on the edge of the porcelain table. 
Brian, this is the sixth person you've killed while on duty. And, I might add, the second in the last week. He stared at her, not knowing what to say. Where was she going with that? But I didn't kill this guy. You did, Met said. I hope you get a commendation for it. Zhao smiled and nodded. He will. So will Inspector Cheng. Klauser, the department needs you. You're too good to lose. You'll have to go through the usual review board as well as some counseling. Considering the brutality of these attacks on the Boyko members and the death of a cop, however, I'm thinking that I can make the review board perfunctory. Her smile faded. Or I can suspend you pending a full review. A review that I assure you won't go well. Considering you've killed six people, I imagine the recommendation will call for you to be dismissed and barred from ever serving in law enforcement. She would have him banned from being a cop. She had to be bluffing. Chief, this vigilante is a murderer. He's got to pay. You have to see that. Pookie crossed his arms and shook his head. You know that Oscar Woody's real killer is still out there. So is the killer of Jay Pilar and Susan Panos. You can't tell us you're just going to wrap this up. Zhao leaned closer. Her eyes seemed to soften a little. Men, I'm asking you to let this go. I can't tell you why, but this is the best thing for the city. Trust me. Brian threw up his hands. Trust you? Trust you to handle a case with those symbols like the way you handled the Golden Gate Slasher? He regretted the words as soon as he said them. He'd played a card they needed to keep close to the vest. The softness slowly faded from her eyes, replaced by her normal stone-cold expression. The board might dig into your older incidents, she said. What if there was a mistake in the review of one of your prior shootings and they uncover some new evidence? Why, you could wind up in prison. Prison? He looked at her, waiting for her to flinch, to fold. But her expression didn't change. Zhao meant every word she said. All this time, Brian and Pookie had been playing checkers while Zhao had been playing chess. Metz's flawless reputation would let him create any evidence Zhao needed. In trial, any district attorney would paint Brian as a power-mad cop, killing at will. Even if that weren't enough for a jury to convict, Brian's career would be over. A hot, sudden rage swept over him, the likes of which he'd never felt anywhere outside of his fucked-up dreams. He'd hurt people before, sure, but he'd never wanted to hurt them. Now, however, he felt the urge to smash her face in, knew how good it would feel to grab her throat, to squeeze, to... Pookie's strong hand gripped the back of his right arm, fingers and thumb digging into his biceps. The urge faded away. Brian blinked in shock. Had he really been thinking such horrible thoughts? We understand, Pookie said. Chief, you've made your position clear. And our positions, apparently. If there won't be anything else. Zhao flicked her hand toward the door. Go. Brian stumbled when Pookie yanked him around the table and through the door. The larger autopsy room was empty, save for the five white tables. Pookie kept squeezing, kept pulling, dragging Brian into the administration area and toward the main door. Pooks, you want to ease up on... 
Pookie suddenly stopped and turned. His nose was only an inch from Brian's. His eyes went wide with anger and frustration. Brian, not another word until we get where we're going. You got it? His partner was furious, maybe even madder than Brian was if such a thing was possible. He'd never seen Pookie like this. Sure, Brian said. Where are we going? We're making a social call. Time to gather the troops. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.